0: Black Doctors podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors podcast. This week I have the pleasure of welcoming back on the show, Dr. Brittany Halford. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician currently practicing in Boston. She completed medical school at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine before completing her internal medicine residency at Washington University, St. Louis. Dr. Halford, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be back.
1: Yes. um, So I received some questions and I've seen you blowing up on Instagram, social media. You are the host of the More Joy, More Wealth YouTube channel where you provide personal finance tips. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes thank you um, definitely more joy and more wealth I'm all about you know just building joy in our finances when you're paying off debt if you're eating pinto beans and hot dogs still finding joy in whatever you're doing <laughs> and now that Ramen I'm debt free trying to you know delve into ways in which you can build wealth because there's so much that I just feel like we don't know so thank you for, for sharing that with your audience
1: Awesome and I know you know we just came through the match season so there's thousands of new residents PGY zeros as they've put in their twitter handles (laughs) and they're about to to go out there and launch those careers as interns or new residents and I know way back when I was in their shoes I made some mistakes there was things I didn't know that I wish I'd known so we're here to well you're here to share some of that information.
0: Awesome. And yeah, I look forward to just hearing about your experience and what you did too, because we can always learn from each other.
1: Absolutely. So <laughs> let's start by talking about the basics, budgeting for new graduates. Folks are coming out of medical school. Some folks have never had jobs. Some folks have worked, but the last four years have been in school. Um, we're getting, They're getting a salary now. How should they start?
0: Yeah. So I think the first way to start, and this is what I do with you know, my coaching clients too, is just to think about what brings you joy. Because when you have money, you're going to spend it. Like, I don't care how much or how little you have, like money is meant to be spent. But you want to make sure that what you're spending on is actually bringing you joy and bringing you value into your life. So I like for people to think hard, hard, and have like a conversation with yourselves about what actually brings you joy because it's very individual. And that's what I love about personal finance that it's very, very, very personal. And so what works for me, what brings me joy is not going to be the same thing that brings you joy. Like I like lavender honey ice cream and spending <laughs> oh, <laughs> a no. lot of money on ice cream. <laughs> but maybe you don't like lavender honey. Maybe you don't even like ice cream. You know? <laughs> so thinking about what brings you joy and focusing on those as you're building out your budget. Because if you have to maybe bring your lunch to work or if you are paying off debt, maybe that's credit card debt or you start to pay off your student loan debt, whatever it is, you're going to be more sustainable in doing it if you have joy, if you have something to look forward to at the end of the week, whether it's ice cream or in two months, it's a trip to, I don't know, fill in the blank in the middle of the pandemic. I don't know where we're going, <laughs> but... <laughs> whatever it is that brings you joy (laughs) tulum (laughs) tulum is actually beautiful if you haven't been it is it is beautiful so um i think that's that's the starting place is really to understand kind of what brings you joy and making sure that you budget in those things because as a resident even though you're making we say just sixty thousand dollars but that's still a lot of money that you're making. You could spend it on many different things and you want to make sure that you're focusing on what brings you joy as you're going through long hours in the hospital and you're just grinding it out that you still have those joy priorities. The next thing I would say is avoid life creep. Mm. And life creep basically means when your discretionary income, so you went from making $0 negative because you had yeah. all the debt to now <laughs> making of some money, you might want to buy a new car or get a nice apartment or, I don't know, live it up and go on some fancy elaborate trip, but I would encourage you not to do so. Um, you know, your joint priority should have a limit and really only account for, I would say, about 10% of your budget max. So you want to avoid life creep because that can definitely eat away at your expenses. Trying to keep up with the Joneses is just going to have you broke, to be honest. Um, yeah. So, you know, for me, I lived in a very cheap apartment. When I was a, an intern, um, we made fifty five thousand, and basically, I went with the least expensive place that provided me with safety, security, and proximity to work, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what what I went with. I bought things on Craigslist. My apartment was decent, you know. It, it needed. It was what I needed because I wasn't spending that much time there. So, and that wasn't a joy priority to have this luxurious apartment with a gym and things of that nature. That wasn't a priority for me. So if you can keep your housing expenses to less than 25% of your take home, so not your gross, your take home Mm. pay. And that's the difference too, because Uncle Sam's going to take his cut. Then I think that that's, those, that's kind of a good place to start.
1: Gotcha. First, I love that you started with joy and putting something there that that brings you happiness because budgeting is so often associated with resentment and poverty and bad things. But having that joy be the first thing to think about was is a good way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I'm all about building joy in whatever you're doing because you can do a lot of things. And at the end of the day, be dissatisfied.
1: Yeah. So you're saying about if you use roughly 10% of your budget on joy, on a $60,000 salary, that's pre-tax, you would have um, probably less than 6000 a year, which is still a fair amount of money to explore fun things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, and they're all, there's so many different fun things that you can do. That are not expensive. You know, when I think about my time in residency or even outside of residency, what gave me most fulfillment was actually like surrounding myself with others. And you can surround yourself with others, you know, in Paris. That you love or you can (laughs) surround them and you're home with a game of taboo and some pizza and some beers, you know, and that's uh, that's less expensive than taking a fancy trip. Not to say that I don't like to travel because I really do love to travel, but there are ways that you can still find joy and it'd be inexpensive. And so that's why I like for people to hone in on okay, is if traveling brings you joy, what is it about the act of traveling? Is it exploration? Is it you know seeing new faces, meeting new people? What actually is it? And do you have to have a big trip? What if you just went to a new place and you drove to a new city that was an hour away? That's still traveling. Yeah. Would that still equate to joy? And sometimes you may have to be creative, but you really have to hone in about what is the quality that's bringing you joy. Not actually like uh, living it up and splurging, popping bottles or <laughs> whatever the case <laughs> may be.
1: Right. I ATL every weekend.
0: <laughs> hey, we're looking forward to moving back. Well, I'm at least looking forward to moving back to ATL. To, to
1: live. To live. Right, not the to party. Live. <laughs> so, and then uh, when it comes to housing, you mentioned about twenty five percent of your take home pay, which you know for most people that would range between a thousand to on the high end two thousand a month for your apartment. You're, you're pushing it if you're hitting that two thousand dollar range.
0: Yeah, and the reason why I say that, I mean, one is you're not going to be at home. You're you're an intern. You're going to be in the hospital, right?
1: True. You,
0: so you you want to have a place that's safe, but majority of Americans spend the most money on housing. And so if you can minimize your housing expense, then you're going to have more money for something that I didn't mention, which is investing, which is so important, Ooh, I think, yeah. to do as a resident, which a lot of my resident colleagues said, oh, we can't afford it at this time. But you can actually afford it. You just gotta modify how you're spending your money, and I again, you need a safe place to lay your head. You need, you know, a, a place that's going to provide you with the comfort and security. But all of the luxuries may not be something that is necessary to have in in your your living situation as a resident.
1: That's good, and that segues into something we were going to get to anyway. <laughs> so we could talk about it now. Investments now, full disclosure and caveat neither of us are financial advisors, no certifications here, so um, we're just having a conversation. Um, and you're welcome to join us, so take that for what it is. But when it comes to investing as a resident with this salary, how did you look at things and how did you get started? For me personally, I finished residency, I did not know what a 401k 3bc3po was. And and I was uh, two years into life as an attending before I found the White Coat Investor. I talked to some folks at work and figured out that I needed to start doing some retirement savings. So how do you break into that system? Where do we start?
0: Yeah. So the White Coat Investor is so funny because I think that that book has sat on many of our bookshelves. That was Mm -hmm. one of the first books that I read, too. Very, very informative. So... I would say that if you are new to investing the easiest way to start is to have a conversation with HR. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes there are opportunities where there's a match. So if you contribute x amount of, you know, your salary or x amount of your contributions for your 401k or your 403c, maybe then your employer will match it up to a percentage. And if there is a match, then you definitely want to contribute because that's free money. Mm. Now, with your 401k or 403b or whatever numbers and letter combinations that is offered (laughs) through your employer, oftentimes those are pre-tax dollars. So for us as attendings, It's very important that we reduce our taxable income so we're not giving all of our money to Uncle Sam. (laughs) As a resident, it is important because, of course, you always want to decrease your taxable income, but you're not in a high tax bracket just yet. So I would say contribute up to the match for whatever your employer plan, but you actually want to inquire if they do have a match. If they don't have a match, then I think it still could be beneficial for you to start investing in whatever your employer plan is. But there's another alternative, which would be a Roth IRA, And so the difference between your employer plan, 401k or 403b or whatever it is, and the Roth is that the Roth is money that has already been taxed that you invest into an IRA, so it's still an individual retirement account. Okay. But that money grows tax-free, just like your 401k your employer plan investments, your retirement accounts, contributions. So it grows tax-free. But when you take it out, when you retire, you do not have to pay taxes on that money, which is phenomenal because right now you're at a low tax bracket. Um, but who's to say when you're 60 that you're not a millionaire and you have to take taxes you will be charged taxes on the money when you take it out of your 401k before the Roth IRA because you've already been taxed at a low tax bracket as a resident on that money. It grows tax-free. And when you have more money when you're retired, you could take it out without having to pay Uncle Sam anything. So that is really the beauty of a Roth IRA. You can still do a Roth IRA being and attending, but there are income limits. You have to do this whole backdoor thing so it gets more complicated. So I think the yeah. easiest way to do it is just do it when you can just contribute straight into a Roth without having to backdoor it. And you're paying little taxes on that money because you're not in a high tax bracket yet.
1: Perfect. And the number is about, six, for most people, 6000 a year, correct? Yes,
0: that's correct. Mm-hmm. And I I haven't checked the income limits yet. I think it's one hundred and fifty thousand, the last that I remember for the Roth, but I don't know what they are for for twenty twenty one. I'm googling right now. It says for single filers it's two hundred and eight, so they've increased it. Mm
1: -hmm. okay. So that's good to know. So Roth. So looking back to when I was going in residency, the mistakes that I made. Well, one wasn't a mistake. I don't. I'm not a budgeter per se, but I am not a spender and I take care of, I'm like the big rocks in the bucket first kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So I kind of did the opposite where I would, you know, the necessities were housing and transportation and whatever I had to pay for. And then most of whatever money I had would just sit in my account and I would do whatever with. Um, So that was my approach to budgeting. Now I wish I had, gone and found HR and figured out this retirement account savings and investing earlier on, because I would probably be in a much uh, better place right now.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we're still very young. So the fact that we're even contributing now is, is great and phenomenal. So I am, I would say, don't discount yourself um, (laughs) for sure. But I think, a lot of people forget about compounding and how time works in your favor when it comes to investing. And oftentimes we talk about compounding, or I at least talk about it in the wake of interest rates for student loans, and also credit card debt. And basically what compounding is, is earning interest on your interest. And I hate when people are taking my money. Like, I want to keep all of my money. (laughs) You know, I want my money to, to grow for me and for my needs. I don't want you to take more of my money. So... When we talk about compounding, it also works for investing. So every time your investments, your contributions, and please invest the dividends when you're setting up your Roth, and you can set it up by yourself. You can do it through Vanguard or Fidelity or any other company, but I like those two companies. Um, and you can do it yourself. And then there's an option that says, do you want to like, have your dividends go into a money market account or do you want to reinvest them? So you definitely want to reinvest your dividends. And basically, that's just the money that you earn from having that mix of stocks that are growing in that company that is growing. So that continues to earn interest and continues to give you greater returns. And doing that over time, if you have 20 years of compounding, then even these small investments early on means that you're going to have more money working for you in the long run than if you were to start five to 10 years later. You're going to have to invest more because you have fewer years for that interest to compound or those returns to compound
1: absolutely and it's something that until you see it you may not believe it exists so i was brought up to save money i've had a checking account savings account since i was a kid and i always put my money there i thought i was doing all right because i had a savings account and sure i made interest quote unquote <laughs> but you look in your accounts and you're making like a fraction of a of a cent of interest so I, i'm looking at my dividend now so with like 15 grand in my savings account my dividend was like 60 cents. So that's what you make in a regular checkings account, savings account, as opposed to your brokerage accounts, which, you know, you can probably speak more to. The returns are what, 7
0: to 10%? Yeah, they say 8 to 10% over like a 10-year period. And so, and then thinking about, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't really know the stock market, Well, you really don't have to because you can invest in mutual funds or index funds that basically follow the trends of different indexes. So the S&P 500 is one that people talk about often. It is basically a group of funds of the 500 top companies within the the United States, right? In the United States, we have pretty solid footing as far as our... Capacity in our companies and how our reputation throughout the world is is diversified in the sense that you have a bunch of like little pieces. You're owner of a little piece of that company and of many companies, so it's diversified in that way. But it's not diversified in the fact that you don't have like a mix of bonds or which provides you a little bit more safety and security, but has fewer returns, or international stocks. You know, it's only US stocks, but it's diversified that you have little pieces of various US stocks. And that typically returns about eight to 10% um, <laughs> in 10 years. And there have been studies that have shown that active people, so people who are actively managing and picking your stocks don't outperform index funds. Yeah. So, you know, choose a good index fund. I personally like the S&P 500, but again, I'm not like your financial advisor or anything like that. Choose (laughs) a a good index fund and stick with it and just contribute on a regular basis, you know, until you get up to your 6,000 match um, if you're doing a Roth IRA or I think it's 19.5 if you're doing your 401k and, and keep it there. And don't move it, and just kind of forget about it, and and then look at it. You know, every six months or so, and feel good about it.
1: Yeah, that that's the that's the the way way to do it. Now, when it comes to now, some not all people can uh, invest early on because, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. Depending on what loans you owe, your interest rates, you may be better off paying down loan versus investing. Or, or what are your thoughts on that?
0: So you're right. I think it depends. Um so I always recommend for anyone who has high interest debt and typically these are like personal loans or credit card debt to pay those off first. I'm very Very logical when it comes to to money, Um, but there is a psychology to money that I don't ignore. So what I would say is just to take a good inventory of what type of debt you have. And if you have credit card debt or if you have personal loan debt, any debt that is going to have an interest rate, I would say greater than six or 7%, then you definitely want to pay that off first. (laughs) Now... If you want to talk about student loans, <laughs> it's so hard to, to kind of talk about student loans right now because there's so many things with this new administration with Biden. And and,
1: and you, you don't have any, so there's that. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I, I don't have any. So, you're right. <laughs> so anyway, and uh, Kevin actually, a few a few weeks ago, just finished paying off the last little bit of his student loans that so we are like wow. officially, completely they free. Hallelujah. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, thank you. So, so yeah, so it feels really good. So, it's hard. So, I don't I don't know exactly what the world is going to look like in 6 months from now with this new administration. Is he going to give 10,000? Is he going to give 50,000? Do do residents actually like qualify for that? I'm not sure. What is the public service loan forgiveness program going to look like? I'm not sure. I guess the recommendations that I can give would just be to be based upon the current state as it has it. And right now, you know, they don't have to pay any um, payments on student loans until the end of September of this year. And that may change. We don't know. But if you don't have to make any payments, and they wouldn't actually make any payments anyways for their medical um, loans until, until six months after they start residency, but if mm-hmm. you don't have to make any payments, then you can invest the money because nobody's going to give you 0% interest or you should pay off other debts that are higher interest instead of worrying about student loans. Now, once the student loans kick in, my recommendation would be for everyone to print off the checklist for public service loan forgiveness, to call your loan servicer and do what is necessary to put you in the realm for public service loan forgiveness. You want to enroll in an income-driven repayment plan, so that is going to lower the amount of your payments, and especially if you're going into like a surgical service, a, sur- a surgical specialty, excuse me, yeah, like plastic surgery or something like that, where you have a long residency because your income is going to be very low for seven years and you have to make 120 qualifying payments, which if you're making payments on time and everything counts, then it would be 10 years, then there's a likelihood that you will have a lot more forgiven at the end of your residency specialty. Um and particularly those who have a lot of debt who have a high debt to income ratio then i would think that the public service loan forgiveness would be a better option for for those individuals for me i had 3 years of residency when i graduated from medical school i had 131,000 when i finished residency I um was hired into a job and I made 195,000. So my debt to income ratio was low, fairly low, yeah. you know. So it was more prudent for me to actually refinance, get a lower interest rate and just go hard on my student loans and pay them off basically. <laughs> um But for each individual, it is an individual decision, and the best calculator that I found is the student loan hero, I think it's called, student loan hero calculator, um, that can give you kind of great estimates of how much you'll have to pay for each income-driven repayment plan, how much would be forgiven, and how long would it take for you to pay back your loans.
1: Perfect. That was so helpful. And thank you for putting those those numbers out there because it definitely helps people kind of figure out where you started and, and where you ended up. Um, for me personally, so I came out of Howard, I think I owed about 250 260 in student loans. I went to residency. I was in the income-driven repayment plan. I did take a military scholarship, but since I joined during residency, they didn't cover my tuition. With the military's financial assistance program, there was like a $45,000 bonus that I got for three years. I was introduced to income tax. (laughs) So on that $45,000 bonus, I think I took home like $32,000. And I was able to use that to pay off some high interest personal loans that I had. And I stayed enrolled in the public service loan forgiveness because I have paid in for three years during residency and four years during my service in the military. Uh-huh. So I'll have three years left when I get out. I plan on going back for a fellowship and I'll probably stay in academic medicine for another couple of years to reach loan forgiveness. And that's my plan. Um, as we mentioned, you know, you have to look at your own finances and figure out what works for you.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, I think again, it just really depends. I've heard so, for me, the numbers don't look very promising actually they're they're extremely staggering but I think the the most recent was three percent of people who thought they were eligible or were eligible actually had their loans repaid um, but I recently listened to a podcast from the White coat investor where he spoke with a physician who actually had his loans repaid, and he just talked about you know how he really needed to document and document every single thing Mm. because And check in with them every year. And um, the host of the White Coat Investor said, well, do you think that they're malevolent or they're just incompetent? And I'm paraphrasing. But that there's some level of incompetency when it comes to this whole program. And so I'm hoping under the Biden administration, it is improved from that regard. Because if you're depending on the government to repay your loans for you providing service, then you would hope that there would be better administration, not from like a governmental standpoint, but from a public service loan forgiveness standpoint, where you can actually get the information that you need so that you can make the right decision for you. And I think that so many people have just been misled or are not documenting appropriately to make sure that everything is on, on board. So there is like a checklist and. <laughs> Also, the employer certification form that you have to submit every year or every time you change mm-hmm. jobs, you know, so the documentation is is really key, it seems, for, for the public service loan forgiveness. But if you have a lot of loans, it's, it's a great deal. It really is. And you can use the money that you're saving on those payments to invest and build wealth.
1: Absolutely. And it's not terribly hard. There is a Facebook group um, of people that are enrolled in the public service loan forgiveness. So people are posting when they get their loans forgiven. And there's been some increased activity in that group. So it's promising. And honestly, I think over the years, they've made it more user friendly with a the system. They came out with an app uh, a couple of years ago where you could track your payments. And once or twice a year, I print off the form, and I go get my uh, payment certified. I need a, a signature from my boss, essentially, that I'm still working here, and within two to three weeks I get information back that they've certified my payment. So, so far it looks good. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I, I do have some um, a backup fund just in case, but yeah. my eggs are definitely in the public service loan forgiveness basket
0: awesome if you know for sure what you want to do. And, you know, um, one of the things that I actually didn't know that I learned about and kind of reading more recently is that, you have to work um, for you know 10 years or the duration of time that you've made your payments under you know a non a, a governmental, excuse me, or a non-for-profit organization, but you also have to work full time. So in thinking about my yes. life right now, you know we have Brooke who's running around here, a baby that's due in May, and I've cut back <laughs> my clinical time to 60 percent. So, yes, I'm still working in academics, but I'm not full time anymore. And so for for women who have chosen to, you know, take time off to stay home or dads who have taken taken time off to stay home and are still making those payments, you know, those payments may not qualify if you're not full time. But I didn't know that. That's
1: good. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. And then you also have to continue working while they're processing your forgiveness. Yes. So if you make it to the 10 years, you can't just quit your, you know, your academic job. You've got to still work there until you've been forgiven.
0: Yeah. And you can't prepay either. I've listened to someone on YouTube who said that she, you know, she paid this like lump sum and thought that she was, you know, paying up her payments for five months or something. And they're like, no, you can't prepay. So
1: I I want to talk briefly about, um, as we're starting to wrap up, folks are coming out of medical school and transitioning into residency. So for me, it was tough to pay as a, you know, they're they're realizing that all that money that you get in financial aid, you've got to use that to somehow move across country. So I'll share some of the tips and things that I did and then would love to to hear how you navigated that. For me, um, I was broke and I saw that Wells Fargo had a relocation loan. So I looked, I was like, OK, I'll probably need about three grand to relocate. Cool. I filled out the paperwork. It wasn't hard. Um, there was like an origination fee. I didn't really know about that it was some percentage it looked small and then after a couple weeks i was like oh man i need more money than this and like the cap was 15 grand so i know i remember making like a three thousand dollar uh loan and then i think it was a seven thousand dollar loan and then a five thousand dollar loan so in retrospect i ended up getting hit with three different origination fees and then i had fifteen thousand in additional debt and it was a variable rate right because the variable rate looked like a low interest uh-uh. up front uh-huh. so within the two years that i was in residency um all of a sudden that interest rate it went from it started around like seven or eight percent and i remember it jumping up as high as 11 percent interest and i was just getting destroyed and i was able to fortunately use that extra money from the navy to pay off that uh, fifteen thousand dollar loan so that was one of the things that i did if you need money to move there are places that have these um relocation loans just just know that they could be a costly way to do things
0: yeah thank you for for being transparent with that that story because i i never even thought about relocation loans um to be honest for for me my moves from undergrad to residency, no undergrad to medical school, excuse me, and then to residency. We're all kind of within the Midwest and like four hours driving from each other. Mm-hmm. So thankfully I had brothers stepfather, you know, Kevin came along at medical school and we got U-Hauls and we just piled all our stuff in and, you know, moved it to wherever we needed it to go. Um, So I was fortunate enough to keep my moving expenses pretty low. But if you can't do that, if you don't have that support system, then a few other options that I've thought about could be, using your credit cards and oftentimes a personal loan is a lower interest rate than a credit card however if you call your credit card so if you have good credit and you call your credit card companies you can ask them for a couple of things so one you can say when was the last time my credit limit was increased and they may tell you a year ago what have you is there a possibility to increase my credit limit or my credit line, as they like to call it, at this time? And that is a soft inquiry if you already have an established credit card with that company. And a Mm. soft inquiry does not affect your credit score versus a hard inquiry does affect your credit score. So that would be the first thing that I would ask. Then I would follow up with, well, are you guys offering any 0% APR offers right now? And they may say, oh yeah, you know, we can offer you one for a year. That means that you can spend your money on that credit card and you don't have to pay interest on any new purchases for that move for an entire year. So that's one of the things that I would say Also, when you think about just credit cards and utilizing your credit cards for a move, a move is a big expense. So you want to keep your credit utilization to 30% or less. So that's why I would advise that you increase your credit line first and then ask for the 0% APR. I recently, you know, for the YouTube channel, trying to be creative and come up with content, just recorded myself talking to my credit card company and I did both of those and it was so simple. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, are you preparing for something? I'm like, uh, yeah, we're, we're preparing for a big expense soon. We're not going anywhere. We're about to have a baby in the middle of a pandemic, but I just wanted to see if they would do it. You know, we don't actually need the available credit or the 0% API, but how good and how easy is it to be done. And if you have good credit, then these credit companies are trying to get your coins. (laughs) So it's a benefit to them that you are borrowing more money from them. So that would be one option. The second option, which is what I actually did when I moved to Atlanta, is I sold almost all of my stuff. Huh. And sometimes it is so much cheaper to sell your stuff than to move it across country because you can just sell it and then repurchase it wherever you're going. And I repurchase things used on Craigslist because. I'm frugal. <laughs> so even when Kevin and I moved in together, I was still making purchases of a Craigslist or offer up or let go or the Facebook marketplace. But that would be another thought is if your stuff is kind of old and not <laughs> very valuable, then <laughs> then sell your stuff. <laughs> sell the majority of it and then what you want to keep, you can do and use in a pod and then have the pod shipped, you know, that way. And then that way you just fly. Um, Or, you know, last thing would be to borrow money from loved ones because I'm sure they're going to give you a better interest rate than a credit card company or a personal loan and if you have to opt for a personal loan then like steven said always choose a fixed and with a fixed there might be a missed opportunity right because the interest rates could go down but at least you know they're not going to go up and it allows you Mm -hmm. to set a budget and include that in your budget every month so you can pay off that loan because it's like an installment loan
1: that's good. And then there's always uh GoFundMes or OnlyFans. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, um, so, Brittany, uh, you know, you were on the show when we first started. You were uh, one of the inaugural guests. Thank you so much for coming back. You shared a story, a very personal story about um, how you kept the cost low for your wedding. You're very transparent. <laughs> And since you mentioned it, I'm going to be transparent, too. So this is my story about moving from residency. I'm very frugal. So I moved out. I was in D.C., went to Howard. I terminated my lease a month early. My landlord let me go. Um, So I was literally couch surfing um, up through graduation. I think graduation was May 6th. So I was out of my place May 1st. And the reason and how I moved Uh, moving trucks are expensive. My brother lived about four hours south in Virginia, so I went to Avis and I rented a 15 passenger van. I think it was like 35, 40 bucks. Pulled up to my place in DC, I'd gotten rid of most of the furniture, um, didn't have much, and I took all the seats out of this 15 passenger van, put them into my uh, apartment, loaded up the van, drove four hours south to Virginia. Dropped all his stuff off my brother's garage, came back the next day, dropped that car off, 24-hour rental.
0: (laughs) I have never heard of anyone doing that.
1: But there's more. So then to get my stuff from Virginia to Chicago, I'm I'm cheap. Um, I'm Googling stuff. Did you know that Amtrak ships household goods?
0: I did not know. I would have put those charger plays on Amtrak shipping. The more you know.
1: So they ship vehicles, they ship boxes, and it's kind of, it's a weight-based shipping. So I rented another 15-passenger van from Norfolk, Virginia, because the nearest train stop was in Richmond, so about an hour away. Loaded up all my boxes, took it to Richmond, Virginia. Um, They put it on a pallet. Put it on an Amtrak and I think it's a it was a per pound shipping cost that was super cheap. I want to say it was like 200 bucks or 250 bucks to ship a pallet, which was all my uh, worldly possessions. Not much to Chicago. Um, I drove over to Chicago. It took about a week and a half or two weeks for it to get there. I found my place to live. Rented another. All right. So it started, the costs are starting to add up, but these rentals are like 35, 40 bucks, you know? So it's not terrible. Picked up my stuff from downtown Chicago, and that's how I got my, my stuff into uh, to my residency place.
0: <laughs> so do you think, in hindsight, that it was worth all of the effort? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Although I, I don't recall what it cost. to so, you mean to the, the hire movers or to, um, rent a moving van, right? A U-Haul, you're you're getting charged by the mile and by how long. So I'll have to crunch. In retrospect, I need to crunch those numbers again, but it was a good idea at the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whenever I look back on like times where... It was just so much effort. And I saved, you know, some money in doing so. I'm always like, I should have just paid for convenience. <laughs> yeah.
1: In retrospect. Yes, dude, I... it's
0: always retrospect.
1: Awesome. Uh, uh,
0: thank uh, you for sharing that story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have you beat or not, but we're, we're birds of a feather for sure.
0: Oh, my
1: um, and if you if you want to hear uh, Brittany's story go back to uh, season one, you can hear her episode. She shares that. Um, as as we close out, I want to mention to folks that you know you gotta counteract the stress of your finances with the stress of the new job that you're about to undertake. You're gonna have patients' lives in your hands. Residency is a time where you're gonna grow a lot um, as a person, as a clinician you're going to learn so much. And for me, I always tried to keep that balance. Sometimes I was better at it than others, but you want to be able to balance that stress of getting your money right with just knowing that your money is going to, it's going to take care of itself if you make good decisions, but definitely focus on residency and do what you need to do, learn what you need to learn. Um, Dr. Halfer, thank you so much for joining us. As we close, what, um, social media sites have helped you or would you recommend people follow? Um, and then tell us again about your YouTube channel and where we can uh, get more information on you.
0: Yeah. So social media sites that have helped me with finances. I, I follow on Instagram better wealth, which I think is a a good one. Um, also the budget has been Mm -hmm. a really good resource. Um, there's there's so many. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, earn your leisure mm-hmm. has been very interesting. Um, so I follow them as well. So those are the kind of the top three that that come to mind um, on Instagram. On YouTube, there is a YouTuber investing with Rose. We actually took her investment course, Kevin and I, and so she gives out really good information about just like what is a mutual fund, what is an index. Um, what is an ETF? And you know, if you need some place to start then and, and you don't mind, you know, watching YouTube videos, then that's a good resource. Podcasts that I like, um, the White Coat Investor, of course, and Financial Residency, that's the, the other podcast. And um okay. yeah, Planet Money or Marketplace Money has also been a really, really good resource. Um so that's those are the places that i kind of go to and listen to uh when i need my financial fix um (laughs) (laughs) so people can find me on instagram and um my youtube channel definitely subscribe my goal is to have uh videos every Friday. Sorry guys. I'm spraying it and a little out of breath. Just with mucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the goal is to have videos out every Friday, but definitely like every week. We'll see what happens when this this baby comes. Um and you know you can just jump in my DM. I also have started more joy, more wealth financial coaching business. And so oh, yes. Yeah, so it's been really good to to have clients and see how they journey through, you know, reaching their financial goals and just like learning more about their relationship with money and how to manage money. So that has been really, really rewarding for me. So those are all the things that I'm doing in finances. And if you want to see cute pictures of babies, then you can follow me on Instagram too. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Dr. Halper, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Please, please, please go find her on YouTube. More joy, more wealth. Subscribe and support her. Um, She's extremely busy uh, working as a physician, a soon-to-be mother of two, and just doing this, uh, this great work of improving financial literacy amongst our community. Dr. Halper, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit, volunteer passion project with the goal of
1: inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen
0: Bradley, your friendly neighbor.